Well, I'm going to ask if you'd take your Bibles this morning and turn to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. We serve a risen Savior. He is alive. Last week, um, on Sunday night, we preached a message on courage. We've been going through a series on Sunday night called Blind Spots. And then the weeks prior, in preparation for that message, as I was studying through um, uh, courage in the Scripture and um, studied specifically from Joshua chapter 1, and the call to courage for Joshua as he would begin to lead the children of Israel. Um, I noticed this song in Deuteronomy 32 and began to study it because it was so interesting to me and it just is my, the way my mind works about music and, and those type things. I began to study specifically this song and wanted to understand it more and more and so it's what I felt like the Lord had led me to speak on this morning. So as we look at this song... In Deuteronomy 32, we have to get a little context. And so if you back up into Deuteronomy 31, let me just kind of bring us up to date a little bit. Uh, The children of Israel are coming over into Egypt. And actually, if we had time this morning, we might go back and read some out of Deuteronomy 28 and 29, where the children of Israel are not coming into Egypt, I think that's what I said, coming into Canaan land, excuse me. Um, And as they're crossing there's some specific things that God has asked them to do. And in, if you have some time this week to go back and read Deuteronomy 28 and 29, there's this beautiful drama played out where the children of Israel are supposed to come across and they're going to set uh, one group over here on Mount Ebal and then they're going to set another group over here on Mount Gerizim. And as the children of Israel walk between these two mountains, there's going to be this proclamation of blessing and cursing. And you may say, well, that sounds good. Well, what, what's that all about? Well... As the children of Israel are coming into the land of Canaan, it's very important that they obey, obey the Lord. And so God is very zealous for their obedience because God is a God who hates sin. In our day, we don't talk a lot about that. This is, uh, you know, when we, when we begin to talk about doctrine in the church in our day, uh, the wrath of God and the sin of man are some of those doctrines that kind of get pushed to the back sometimes. But very specifically, as the children of Israel are coming over into Canaan land, God is very particular about setting up this picture and this understanding through this drama for them that that blessing brings obedience. Excuse me. Obedience brings blessing. I said that backwards. And disobedience brings cursing. So I want you to help me say that this morning. Obedience brings blessing. And disobedience brings curse. Let's say it again. Obedience brings blessing, and disobedience brings cursing. And so that is the picture of what's going on in this drama that's played out in chapters 28 and 29. And then bless Joshua's heart over in chapter 31. He's called upon to lead a group of people because, as you remember, Moses, um, when asked to speak to the rock, um, struck the rock. And, and God said, because you disobey me, you didn't hold me as holy in front of the people, you didn't trust me, therefore you can't go into the Canaan land. And so you're going to die before the children of Israel go in. And so this, this whole exchange is happening where God is removing Moses from leadership over the children of Israel and he's instituting Joshua. And so if you look back in, in chapter 31 with me, 
And read with me in verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days are approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And so they went to the tent and um, God did indeed commission Joshua. And if you look down at verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise up and whore after foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them. So that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Therefore, now write this song and teach it to the people Israel and put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. I don't know if that strikes you as um, pretty heavy, but it does me. I hope it strikes you as pretty heavy because it's a very significant thing that the Lord is telling Joshua. If you're in Joshua's shoes, uh, you're fixing to take over leadership of a group of people that God has described in this kind of way. It's a little disheartening, isn't it? That's why in Joshua chapter 1, God says, Joshua, be strong and be of great courage, right? Because this is a rebellious people. And, And God is saying very specifically that I'm going to give them this promise, this promised land. But as they enter, they're going to forsake me. They're going to despise me. They're going to break my covenant. And so here's what I want you to do, Moses. I'm going to give you a song. And I want you to write this song down, and I want you to teach it to the Israelites, and I want you to teach it to their children. Because this song I'm going to use as a testimony, a witness against them. Because there's going to come a day when they're not going to incline their ear to my words. They're not going to hear me. And I'm going to give you this song and I want you to sing it and teach it. And I'm going to to keep it in their hearts. So that in that day they will recall my truth and who I am. Now, I could have entitled this sermon, um, God's Hit Single. You know, back in the day, you know, everybody wanted a hit single on the charts, right? Well, God's got a hit single right here in Deuteronomy 32. And you know how I know that? It's because um, it's going to live in the hearts of the young people. Now, you know as well as I do, especially in our day in music, if a song is going to make it with the younger generation, it's got to, it's got to be fresh and new and have the, the zeal of the newer styles of music and so on and so forth. And, and so for God to write a song... And set it to some tune that's going to last through generations of young people. It's got to be a hit song, right? It's got to be good. I mean, if it's not, it's not going to last. It's not going to stay in their hearts. It, have, you, 
maybe some of you guys who've had young children steal, or maybe you can remember back when you had put in a DVD or a video for your young kids. Maybe it was the uh, the Barney DVDs or videos. Does anybody remember the Barney DVDs or videos? And I would hear that song one time. I don't even want to go there. And and it would stick in your mind, in your head, wouldn't it? It would be there, and like you'd be going through your day, and Barney song popping. It's like. The Barney song in my head. Isn't it, isn't it a crazy how God created music to carry lyric and it carries so deep into us? It's the power of music. That's, it's so exciting to me when we sing songs like we've sung this morning about the resurrection of, of Jesus and all the great things that He's done for us in salvation because we recognize that that truth is not only just being sung out by us, but it's being washed over us and pierced into us, into our hearts and souls. A lot of what we sing forms a lot of our theology because we sing it in our minds and our hearts all the time. And so songs are very important. And, and right here in Deuteronomy, we see God using what he created for the purpose of calling his people to repentance, to back to himself. Because he knows his people and he knows what they're prone to do. If you look back in 31, chapter 31, beginning down there in verse 20 and 21, he says, I swore to give them this land, and they have eaten and are full and have grown fat, and they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. Does that, does that break your heart? To think about this children... This people, that this God has so miraculously, just think about it, delivered them from Egypt. All the plagues that he sent to, to get them out of Egypt and how he's brought them across the desert and how they came up to Canaan land the first time and they sent out the spies and the spies came back and said, big people there, giants there, we can't go in and we can't take them. And they didn't believe God, they didn't trust his word to go on in. And so they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness And now they're finally back again. And yet God still knows the rebellion of their heart. He knows they're a stiff-necked people. And I know, and I'll just say this, I know this is not a popular message for our day, but the reality is, is we're not different from them, are we? We're stiff-necked people. See, when Sergei was talking earlier, I... I was so encouraged to hear what he said um, about his host home. They want him to go to church and not just kind of be an attender. Because God wants more than just attenders here this morning. He wants worshipers. People who uh, not only come and sing a song on Sunday morning and sit in a pew, but a people who go out from here and worship him all through the week with all that they are, with their life, their thoughts, their imaginations, with their creativity, with their work ethic, with everything that they are. And the, and the cold, hard reality is that in America, we are more prone to religion apart from true devotion than any other people on the planet. I mean, in some ways, you could speak these words over us this morning and say, we as Americans have kind of grown fat, hadn't we? We have it so good. 
We are blessed so much. And that's exactly what's going on here. As we see, as we'll pick up and read in chapter 32, is we've got a group of people who God has poured out His blessing upon. And in that blessing, He knows that they're just going to become comfortable and complacent. They're not, they're not going to feel like they need Him anymore. And so He purposely gives them this song in chapter 32. So would you read with me? We'll start in verse 30 of chapter 31 there right prior. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear my word, the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon tender grass, like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. The God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind. He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Let's stop right there for just a second. So already in the song, Moses, proclaiming the word of the Lord, says, calls heaven and earth to give testimony, to hear the words that are being spoken. And, and the desire and the point of this song is to teach. I want you to look at verse 2. My teaching will drop as the rain and my speech distill as the dew. Why does rain need to come down and uh, dew need to distill? It's because things need watering to grow, right? Tender grass showers upon the herb. And as truth washes over us this morning, hopefully our hearts will be growing in Christ Jesus. And every time we come to the Word, we should be experiencing the, the nourishment from above to grow in, up in Christ and to be sanctified in Him. So that's the desire and the point of this song. Because this is a people, again, who who are wayward in their heart and mind. They, they're, they're going to turn away. And so they need this song. Notice what he says about the Lord. Verse 3, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. This rock, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. The God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. We're not come to open just any word this morning. We've not come just to hear any message this morning. We've come to hear the message and the word of the Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who got up out of the grave that we just got through singing about. And this is the God who spoke Deuteronomy 32. This is the God who delivered his people from the land of Egypt. This is the God who carried them across a desert, who provided water from them from, from a rock, who sent manna raining down from heaven. This is the God who speaks. 
This is a God who speaks to his children and calls them to come to himself. This is a God who thinks ahead for his children and knows that they're going to turn away from him. So he's providing in advance for them a song, a song to call them back to faith and belief and trust in him. This is a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God. But this is also a God of wrath and justice. Because he knows he cannot tolerate sin. He he can't just whitewash sin. And so that's why it's such a big deal that his children will turn away. That's why this song is written. Notice they have dealt corruptly with him, verse 5. They're no longer his children. They're a crooked and twisted generation. Remember the days of old? Consider the years of many generations. uh, Verse 7. He says, go to your fathers, go to your elders. Let them testify and tell you of my work and what I've done. God's testimony is true and proven. And there's not a one of us in the place this morning who can rise up and say, God has not been faithful. God has always been faithful to his people. Always been faithful. To every generation, every people, on every continent in the whole world, God has always been faithful. And so as we break this down this morning, as we go into the rest of this song, um, I want to I give you a little bit of an illustration. And because we, what we want to focus on out of this song is the goodness and severity of God. We'll go over to Romans chapter 11 in just a few minutes if we have time but in Romans chapter 11 beginning in verse 22 it says consider the severity and the goodness of our God so I wanted to give you just kind of an illustration to to help you grab hold of this concept a little bit Um, we live in a day that talks a lot about the love of God and we um, we spend a lot of time talking about the love of God which which we should but oftentimes to we we fail to lift up this other uh, reality of God's character, which is his wrath and judgment. And so, I don't know if you can see, I have a 9-volt battery here. I have one of these in my, my microphone here, and it makes it work. And So I just kind of, this is an illustration. Maybe some of you guys uh, know a lot about electricity, probably a lot more than I do. Um, but this battery has a positive and a negative side. It has two, two poles on it, two charges and if, you, if you've ever opened up something to replace a battery, then, then you know that when you, uh, you have this little thing, it's supposed to, this is a 9-volt battery, so it just caps on it, and it sends a, uh, one line as a positive line, and then one line's a negative line. But, but if one of those lines is not connected, um, would my microphone work that I have? Yeah. It takes both lines to, to make it work. And actually what's happening, if, if you care at all to know, is the negative side is sending out negatively charged electrons, and they're racing to the positive side. And by them racing through the wires and through the motor, maybe you guys have a shaver this morning, you, when you turned on your shaver, what was happening to make that little motor run was those negative electrons were racing to the positive side of that battery, and that was what was causing the motor to run. Well, if just this analogy would break down at some point in time, but just... just just to kind of give you a, a good picture, if we can say the positive side is the love and compassion, the goodness of God, and we could say the negative side is the wrath and justice of God. Because that's, that's usually the way we tend to think about it, isn't it? We think about wrath and justice as a negative, 
and we think about love and kindness and goodness as a positive. But, but scripturally speaking, if, if one of those is disconnected, then, um, then the instrument's not running well. Does that make sense? If there's some of us more prone to dwell on the wrath of God and the justice of God, and I, I would dare say that, that group in this room is probably much smaller than the other group that is more prone to, to dwell on the love of God and the goodness of God. In other words, some of us want to think about God all the time. He just always has a smile on his face about everything. And some of us um, want to see God as, as he's just kind of mad all the time. He's just waiting to kind of give me the, the punch. And, and the, the biblical picture is God is loving and merciful and gracious and kind. But he also is holy. And because he's holy, he can't just whitewash sin. And so he does get angry. And his anger is always just and righteous. It's never uh, sinful anger. And we see oftentimes in the scripture, not just in the Old Testament either, if we had more time this morning, we'd spend some time reading uh, verses in the New Testament. But, But God is very purposeful about communicating with his children that he is good and kind but he's also a God of justice and wrath and you say okay Matthew I, I get it but what's, what's the big deal why, why are we talking about that this morning and, and I think here's, here's kind of just a summary right off the bat is that when we begin to take the truth of God and we lift one truth above another, out of proportion, then what we lift up sometimes uh, ceases to be true. So again, back to the analogy, if this battery has great potential to work and make motors run and those type of things, but if I disconnect either side of this, it's not going to work. And, and we as a people need to see God in his justice and also in his loving kindness. And so real quickly, look at, look at verse 9 um, through 14, and we'll see the goodness of God displayed in this verse, if you will, of this song. But the Lord's per- portion is his people. Just think about that. God chose a people for himself. Sought them out, made them his own. Isn't that just amazing? Jacob is his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert, in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an angel that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them up on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them, and no foreign god was with them. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. He suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, and curds from the herd, and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan, and goats, with the very finest of of the wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 
I mean, that sounds pretty amazing, actually, that this group of people have been provided for in this way, right? The goodness of God is very clear. And, and we don't have a, a hard time thinking about that as American Christians. We, we would say, and you hear people say this all the time, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm blessed. You hear people say that all the time? I'm blessed. We know we're a blessed people, don't we? We know we have it good. That God has been so good and gracious to us. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 and 5 says this, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So there's this real reality where God, by his patience and forbearance, pours out his love and grace on a people and calls them unto himself. And, and, and the testimonies we heard this morning were those testimonies, weren't they? God came and sought me out and brought me unto himself. And if you're a believer in the room this morning, that's your testimony, is God sought you out. He came and brought you unto himself. He revealed himself to you and poured out his grace and mercy on you and helped you to believe in him, helped you to see him and know him. And you're blessed. Because you've had the hand of God's grace and goodness upon you. Look at verses 19 through 25. Excuse me, let's back up to 15. We need to read down to verses 19. Because this is the the condition of what happens in the sin. This is the part of the song, the bridge, if you will, that's going to lead us to the second verse. Okay, But Jeshurun, and Jeshurun is just a name for the people of Israel. It's kind of uh, a nickname, if you will, uh, a name of endearment for the, the children of Israel. Um, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and stubborn. And then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave birth to you. Well, I know some of you older men grew up on farms. And uh, when you had a mule or a horse or even cows, when they, they get fat and lazy and you try to get them to do something, what do they do? They'll kick at you, won't they? They'll kick at you. they come after you. I've had some ornery animals in my day <laughs> when I was younger, some ornery horses and some ornery cows. I never owned a donkey, but I've seen an ornery donkey before, and they're pretty mean when they want to be, right? They kick. Get spoiled and fat and lazy. And then when you ask them to do something, they don't want to do it. They don't want to move. And that's the picture he's given us here in verse 15 is God's blessing upon us could actually bring us to a place where we don't want to get up and do anything for him. 
They scoffed at him. And I want you to look down at verse 18 with me. This is the most um, convicting for me right here. Is they were unmindful of the rock that bore them. They forgot the God who gave them birth. I want you to recognize something. It wasn't that they just said, "We, no, <laughs> no God, just no, don't want anything else to do with you. It wasn't just a blatant rejection. They just kind of forgot him. Just became unmindful of him. And I just ask you this morning, do we not stand in that place of danger ourselves? I doubt there's anyone in the room this morning who would say, you know what? I hate God. I don't want to have anything to do with Him. But I want to ask you, what was your week characterized by this past week? Was God intimately involved in your mornings? And you going to work and what you did at work and you're coming home and your time with your family? Was God a part of that? Or was He just kind of forgotten in the midst of all that? I'm not trying to heap guilt upon you. But there is a guilt that leads to repentance. So we need to check ourselves. And, and as we hear this song coming from Deuteronomy 32 this morning, we need to let it wash over us. And speak to our hearts. Is it possible that we're unmindful of God? That, we're, that we've forgotten the God who gave us birth, who created us, who bore us? Look at verse 19 and we'll see the Severity of God. The Lord saw it and spurned them. Because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. Children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. Who are no people, excuse me, and I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Do you hear those those three statements of I will? I will hide my face from them, I will make them jealous and provoke them to anger, I will heap disasters upon them. Isn't this the same God who brought them out of Egypt? Isn't this the same God who carried them across the desert? Isn't this the same God who's giving them the land of Canaan? And I think we can see very clearly that here, that yes, it's the same God, and yes, He loves His people, and a part of that love is calling them to account for their sin. Part of his love for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Then it shall come about, this is again prophecy. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not feel, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. 
It's not blatant rebellion. It's forgetfulness. He says it again in Deuteronomy 8, 14. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. His fire is kindled, verse 22. My anger burns. Both poles, right? The goodness and severity of God. But here's the great news. Jesus came to take the wrath of God, our sin upon himself, and bear it to the cross. So that you and I would not have to bear the wrath of God. Would you say that statement with me again? Obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings cursing. Would you say it with me? Obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings cursing. And if we're going to have a right picture and a right understanding of the God who saved us, we have to understand that he is both good and kind and loving and he's both justice and full of wrath for those who would sin against him. And the beautiful reality is it's so hard for us because of our propensity. It's so hard for us to bring both of those two together in our hearts and minds and see God through both of those lenses, if you will. But the reality is, is they come together very clearly at the cross. Very clearly. Because we see the love of Jesus the Son bearing our sin to a cruel cross, suffering for mine and your sin. Do you feel that? Do you feel the weight of that this morning or has it become hard to you? Have you just kind of forgotten the realities of where you would be today? We didn't start at zero on the, on the chart and then work up from there. We started infinitely negative, right? Depraved, sinful, apart from God, haters of God, enemies of God. And yet God in His righteousness and forbearance, He brought us to repentance. And not only did He stop there, He didn't just bring us back to some place of neutrality. He, he poured out his righteousness upon us and set us infinitely in the positive. We have a reason to celebrate because if you're in Christ this morning and the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you, then you do not have to worry about experiencing the wrath of God because it has already been taken for you all the way to the cross. Without seeing clearly God's judgment on sin, we cannot rightly feel the great joy of forgiveness in salvation. Did you hear that? Without seeing God clearly God's judgment on sin, we cannot rightly feel the great joy of forgiveness in salvation. Without a clear view of the wrath and justice, we will not understand the great price paid for the love and mercy that daily rains down on us in Christ. I think we're tempted to forget of where we've come from, of the goodness of God poured out upon us, and the wrath of God taken for us. 
J.I. Packer said this, To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is greater. John Owen said this, The greatest unkindness that we can do to God is to not believe that He loves us. One more quote by A.W. Tozer. We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. We must take refuge from God in God. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in His Son while He disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers in His holiness. And so let me, let me end here. You may say, why go through all this uh, talking about the wrath of God, Matthew, if you're just going to say that Jesus took it for us, because that's what we need to begin with, right? But I would, I would caution us. Hebrews very specifically cautions us to come back and not hold our salvation as if it's a ticket to Disneyland, like we've got our little card, you know, our fast pass, and we just plug it into the little reader and we, we go on our way. The Scripture calls us to hold our salvation in a very humble way, Recognizing that God saved us, and, and what is going to give proof to that is not just me saying I walked an aisle on a Sunday morning, or I prayed a prayer somewhere, or I was baptized in such and such church at such and such time, or my name is on this membership role. What's going to give testimony to that is the work of the Spirit in our life. The fruit of our life. And so, if we would sit here this morning and say, um, you know what, as you're preaching about sin and about forgetting God, I could just felt the Lord piercing me through with that reality that that's where I am. Then it's a healthy thing for us to not wave back at God under that conviction and say, oh, but I've got my my fast pass to heaven. I'm good. No, we should come back humbly and say, Lord, I understand that you're a God of wrath. I understand that you're a God of loving kindness. And I want to be found in Christ.